Good morning. The scripture reading this morning comes from the book of 1 John, chapter 3, verses 11 through 18. It can be found in the Black Pew Bible in front of you on page 863, where you may follow along on the screen located just behind me. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. May God bless the reading of his word. If you've just joined us today or over the last few weeks, we've been working our way through the, the little book of 1 John. And it's a series we've entitled, What's Love Got to Do With It? And, and the answer that I hope you're discovering week after week is that the answer is everything. Absolutely everything. God's love is the greatest thing in all of the universe. It's the greatest power. It's the greatest experience. And he wants you and I to encounter him in a faith relationship and live united with him through Jesus Christ. Well, if you were with us last week uh, as we were exploring through 1 John, and I I know (laughs) some of you are wondering if I will ever finish 1 John, and the answer is no. But that's that's okay. We're we're learning some really good things together. Um, But last week we discovered that if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, As Savior and as Lord, you are a child of God right now. It's not something that you will become. It's not something that you have to wait to heaven to experience. It is a relationship that is absolutely guaranteed a certainty that you have right now. You will never be more of a child of God than you are right in this moment. The question is, are you living like one? Are you living the freedom that God intends for you to have in that relationship? You know, when I think about um, my relationship with with my wife and with my children, there's no fear there. Occasionally, we have, you know, disagreements and struggles and those kinds of things, but there's so much freedom. And in a couple weeks, Becky and I get to uh, to travel back to the U.S. to meet our new grandson and see our, the rest of our children and grandchildren and, and, and just get to spend time with them. But there's such an anticipation about just being together. And that's a picture of what God wants for you personally. He wants you to enjoy time with him. But in order to do that, we have to see ourselves as who he says we are, as his children through faith. And to a large degree, What we have to do, our topic today, is we need to lose our religion. Now, throughout the the series, I've been trying to to pick some some songs, mostly some great classic rock songs, Uh, and, and, and I do have a song for today, but it is not, I know, how many of you are expecting R.E.M.? Yeah, okay, okay. 
It's a great song. However, losing my religion in REM's lyrics means I'm getting angry. It's, it's actually an American expression to lose your religion. Uh, it either means that you're frustrated, you're angry, or that you're cussing. So just so you know, that's, that's the context that it means there. Uh, so I didn't choose the R.E.M. song um, because it doesn't really fit where, where I'm going. R.E.M. song has absolutely nothing to do with religion, even though it's a cool song. So there you go. So instead, there's a, there's a song called Losing My Religion by Lauren Daigle. And, and it's a beautiful, powerful song um, that's part of her journey where she, she starts in the lyrics. I'm only going to play a little portion of the chorus for you, but she starts in the lyrics talking about how she was tired of being a performer, of, of being on the stage from the standpoint of trying to make herself look good, not as an artist so much, but in her relationship with God. And, and she discovered that it was a, a masquerade, that it was a facade. And instead, she says this, She says, light a match and watch it burn, but to your heart, Lord, I will return. No one could love me like you do, so why would I want a substitute? And then this is the the chorus, so go ahead and play it. All right, now some of you like that little sampler so you can get on Spotify or whatever you listen to and, and listen to the rest of the song. It's a great, great song. It's a, in fact, the whole album's pretty, pretty amazing. Um, she's just got some great things to say. But I'm guessing that none of you came to church today thinking the preacher would tell you it's time to lose your religion. Chances are that never entered your minds. But I think as we walk through the passage today, we'll discover that religion is often what can get in our way of us truly having a faith relationship with God. So let's look at the passage here um, that we began to, to read earlier. 1 John chapter 3, starting with verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers, Abel, were righteous. Now, one of the things that's so beautiful about God's word is how consistent it is from beginning to end. Here is a book that God, is God's message to us and um, the message in the Old Testament and the message in the New Testament are synced together and they're the same. From the beginning, even though the setting was different, some of the circumstances that it, that it applies to were different, the message is the same. And so what John is doing is he's pointing back um, to the very beginning, to the book of Genesis, to the story of Cain and Abel, and using it as an, as an example to show us that we are called to love one another and not be self-sufficient, not be like Cain. And, and so it may seem a little bit odd, um, but what I hope you'll see is that he's illuminating 
what can get in the way of us truly loving one another and loving God with all of our heart. Cain was the first child born in this world. According to the story in Genesis, the the account, he's the firstborn of Adam and Eve. After Adam and Eve had sinned and rebelled against God, what we call um, in Scripture the fall, um, they came together, they um, had a child, and it was Cain. Later on, they had another child whose name was Abel. And he's the oldest son of Adam and Eve, and in many ways, his life stands in contrast to who Jesus Christ is, God's son. Cain lived a life of pride. Jesus, the creator of the universe, the one who has every right to every praise, humbled himself and became a servant. So let's examine, first of all, the religion of Cain. And and then we'll take a quick look at his brother Abel as well, and hopefully a look at ourselves. So what is the religion of Cain? If, you're, if you have your Bibles, which I hope you do, uh, feel free to use the Pewback Bibles, use your phone, um, um, just don't check Facebook while you're on there, but you feel free to use the scripture in your heart language, and, and let me show you a little bit of the story in Genesis chapter four that, that John is writing about. Genesis 4.1, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, And she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. It wasn't acceptable. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. Now I want you to, before we go too, too far here, um, it's describing his, his condition. When it says that Cain was very angry, we need to understand who Cain is angry at. He's angry at God because God didn't accept his sacrifice. When it says his countenance fell, it means that that emotion overwhelmed him or his face fell. Verse six, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? You see, God is meeting Cain right where he is and and he's reaching out to him. He's saying, I I want you to know me. I I want you to, to have a relationship with me. And if you do not do well, Understand that sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Well, what happened? Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Remember, he's angry at God, but he took it out on his brother. Now think about this in contrast to what we see Jesus proclaiming. He tells us that the great commandment is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. Because he he basically is saying the way that we best express our love for God is by loving one another. Cain does exactly the opposite. He's angry with God. He hates God, but there's nothing he can do directly to take out his anger on God, and so he takes out his anger on his brother. 
Verse nine. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? That's a question you've probably heard. Even if you're not that familiar with the, with the Bible, you've probably heard that, that question. Am I my brother's keeper? I believe God's answer is yes, even though Cain didn't understand it. Verse 10. And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. So what is Cain's religion? What do we see? Why is it that God didn't accept his sacrifice? I mean, when you first look at this, your, your tendency is going to be, God, he, Cain's sincere. He's bringing the, the result of his work, of his labor. Shouldn't that be a good thing? Well, let's find out. The religion of Cain is something that John is contrasting religious effort with a faith relationship. And it is so important that we understand the difference. And that's why my prayer today is that we, we lose our religion and we grow instead in a faith relationship with Christ. Cain's religion was pride. In essence, what he was bringing to the Lord was saying, see what I have done. See the work that I have produced. See the fruits of my labors, the things that I have done. Lord, you should be pleased with me. It was impressive. Whatever it was that he brought, this fruit basket that he put before the Lord had to be something that that looked really, really good. But it was all about the condition of Cain's heart that revealed he was pridefully trying to display his own goodness and his own worth. Cain's pride. Kinds. Cain's pride led to envy. His envy led to hatred. His hatred led to murder. And if we practice a religion of pride, we are in danger of becoming like Cain. In, in verse 3 of Genesis 4, it says that he brought the fruit of the ground to the Lord. It was the result of his own works. It says he was a gardener, he, was a, he tilled the ground. Um, And we must admit that Cain was not a lazy man. He worked hard. And he wanted everyone else to see just how good he was. In Genesis 3.19, God had said that man would bring forth the fruit of of the ground only by working hard because there was a curse upon uh, the earth because of humanity's sin. And so it required great labor. This is exactly what what Cain did. He worked hard and he grew tired from his labors and he brought that offering before the Lord, but it was not acceptable. There was a problem. Cain presented the fruits of his own effort because he was putting himself on display. There was another problem in that Cain's offering to God did not cost the price that God required. You see, from the very beginning, God told Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve would have told their sons, Cain and Abel, that the wages of sin is death. When God said to Adam and Eve, if you disobey me, if you choose to rebel against me, it will result in death. And the only way to pay for sin is death. The offering that Abel brought was of an innocent lamb 
whose life had to be given in their place. Its blood had to be shed because that's how serious sin is. What Cain offers is is in recognition that his sin really isn't that bad. He's just, he's not really that much of an issue. God should be impressed with me and the things that I have done. That's the idea that Cain was bringing before the Lord. And many think today that it's okay to have their own ideas about how to reach God and heaven just as Cain did. I want you to think about what, what's your idea? What, what is the things in your own thought process that you've come up with about what it means to be right with God? Do you think that it's enough to be sincere and do the best that you can? You say, after all, it, it's, it's, it's my effort. What more could, I ask, could God ask for? But God can ask for more because he's God and he's perfect and he doesn't ask us to do our best. In fact, our doing of our best is actually what gets in the way. He asks instead for us to trust what he has done, to recognize, you see, every sacrifice in the Old Testament, every animal that was offered was simply a foreshadowing of what God would do himself that he would offer himself to pay the price our sin deserved. And what he asks us to do is to not do our best, but instead give him our trust. Say, Lord, I'm not worthy. No matter how hard I work, I could never have a fruit basket good enough to impress you. If I worked all of my life, all my days, and gave everything to you, it still wouldn't be enough. But God doesn't ask us to do that. He asks us instead to trust him. And throughout the scripture, he's made it clear that the requirement for sin is death. In Leviticus 17, verse 11, it says this, for the life of the flesh is in the blood and I have given it um, for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is in the blood that makes atonement by the life. Now, what God is is mentoring here, which may seem a little strange until we understand it from from God's perspective, you realize that there was a sacrifice that was made when Adam and Eve sinned. God himself killed animals and made clothes for Adam and Eve to cover over their sin because he said that the price that sin requires is death. And there's no way around that. Something else in its place will not do, no matter how good our efforts are. Hebrews says it the same way in in chapter 9, verse 22. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. That's why Jesus had to die on the cross for us. That's why his blood had to be shed, is because it's the only price that could be paid to make us forgiven, to give us a right relationship with him. And so it's not something that we earn, it's something that we receive humbly in recognition of God's work and not our own. The religion of Cain is every religion. Every religion, whether it's Christian in its, in its styling or whether it's some other, um, other brand, If it's a a religion based upon my effort and my works, it's a religion of Cain. It's an outgrowth of that, 
of me trying to rely on my own goodness to impress a holy and perfect God. And none of us can measure up. But the great news, here's the part I want you to hear with all of your heart, is you don't have to. You don't even have to try. Instead, we have to to trust. Not try, but trust. Trust in what God has done. Because you see, none of us can be good enough. That's what all through the Bible it tells us. Ecclesiastes 7.20, we read, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. None of us are perfect, and that's what God is. It's not that, that, that we're all bad and that everything we do is wrong. It's not that. It's that we're just not perfect. And we need a perfect God, and we need a perfect one to make the sacrifice for us so that we can have union with a perfect God. But God gave Cain an opportunity to repent. In verses six and seven, he said, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. God is appealing to Cain and and he's telling him, all you need to do is trust in me. All you need to do is recognize that, what, what, that I'm God and that I get the chance, I have the opportunity to say what is right and what is wrong. It is very popular in our world today and it has been throughout history to reshape God according to our own expectations and desires. It happens all the time. When a person says, I can't believe in a God who would do blank, and they refer to something that's there in the scripture, they are reshaping God according to their own image rather than to who he says he is. Now, many, many people do it. But if God is God, doesn't God have the right to say what is right and what is wrong? If not, He's not God because here's what's happening. When I try to do that, when I try to reshape God in my own image, I'm trying to take God's place and that is exactly what Cain was doing. He was trying to take control. He was trying to say, God, you should be pleased with me and here's why and I'm gonna determine how I approach you, how I worship you. If God is God, He's the only one that can define what worship truly looks like. And the beautiful message of the gospel is that God did all the work. We don't have to measure up. We just have to trust. The religion of pride and self-effort is is seen in all kinds of ways today. But I also want to remind you, even if if you've entered into a faith relationship with Christ, if you're trusting him and you recognize that I can't be good enough, I can't be sinless, I'm trusting instead in what God has done, which is what um, biblical Christianity is all about, we still are in danger of living practically like Cain. When we practice in our minds a religious legalism, where we seek to justify ourselves and our actions based upon our own goodness, We're not living out of the grace of God and out of a faith relationship. We're trying instead out of pride to make ourselves look good. 
and it's incredibly dangerous. And can I tell you, it leads to despair and imprisonment. And God wants you to be free. That's the message that's here. Is God's offering you a life that is filled with joy, with expectation, with wonder. Proverbs 14:12 puts it this way. It says, "There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death." You see, it seems like all roads, good efforts, sincerity should all lead to God and he should be pleased. But that's putting ourselves in God's place. That's starting with us instead of starting with God. Otherwise, we're trying to take his place. And that's the one thing God will not allow us to do is to take the place that he deserves. Well, let's explore it just a little bit more. And hopefully, hopefully this will make sense. I pray that the Lord will speak to you in a beautiful way today and set many free. The name Cain means possession. In the Bible, names are incredibly significant. And his name, meaning possession, is a description of who he became. He was focused in on what he accomplished, on the possessions that he accumulated. And that's why he thought God should be really impressed with the offering that he gave because I'm sure it looked very impressive. If you and I would have been there, we would have probably looked at the the sacrifice of Abel, which was a lamb being slain, that innocent one taking its place, and this beautiful collection of, of this harvest that would have been impressive. But again, it was pride that was putting it forth. And, and we, we read a couple of weeks ago how John described this same idea in, in John chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, or the pride of possessions is one translation, is not from the Father, but is from this world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. And so it's a contrast to um, his possession was prompting him to put forth his best effort, believing God should be impressed with him. But how does John contrast the offering of Cain and the anger of Cain? Look at verse 11 of 1 John chapter 3. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. So we're not to be like him. Instead, we're to follow the example of a faith relationship, of a love relationship. So what about Abel? Well, turn, if you have your Bible, to Hebrews 11.4, and look what it says about Abel. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. Do you see? He offered not something that he did, but he offered in recognition that he deserved punishment and that something that wasn't guilty had to take his place. He offered a sacrifice, and the Lord took that sacrifice and said, now I declare you righteous. That's what he does with each and every one of us when we trust in what Jesus has done for us. He declares you right with God. 
And that's, that's ultimately what Cain was looking for, but he was unwilling to humble himself. God commended him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Abel's testimony goes on. Now, here's something that's interesting about Abel. His name means breath. And I love that because it connects directly into our passage. The faith of Abel breathed both life and love. Abel offered an acceptable sacrifice to God. He offered God what he required, and he didn't hold on to his possession and his pride. In the same way, that's why God says that the expression of our faith is to be love, because love always gives. It is never held for for self. In the same way, you were not made to hold your breath. If I told you all, okay, take in a deep breath and hold it. Hold it until I finish my sermon. Most all of you would pass out because I'm not very close to being done yet. But I'm gonna try. You're not made to hold your breath and the same's true with love. Love is meant to be breathed in from God out to others. Just like we breathe in oxygen and we breathe out We're to breathe in God's love and then express it to one another. That's what honors God. That's what shows we are his. Love is always expressed and it cannot be contained. The scripture tells us that God is love and his love had to be expressed. Therefore, he created us. He made the universe. And and likewise, God knew our state of sin and our separation from him. And again, his love had to act. It had to be expressed. So Jesus, the son, took on the form of sinful humanity and lived a perfect life to be a substitute, the substitute for us, and sacrificed himself for us. Through him, we know what love is. That's what he says in the next verse. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. That's the beauty of what God has done for us. It's an expression of love. It's a trust in his love and in his goodness because love leads to life. We know, verse 14, that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Love is a choice. Love is an action. Love must have hands and feet. And that's why what God calls us to do is to express our love, the offering that he wants from us because he provided the offering that covers over our sin in Jesus and so the offering that he wants from you and I as followers of him is to love one another. And that sets the stage for these last two verses where we'll conclude. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? He's not breathed in God's love in a way to breathe it back out. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. And church, I am so proud of the way you responded to the needs of the refugees last week. You breathed in God's love and you poured it out in beautiful ways. Thank you for doing that because God is pleased with his people. 
And this week, he's gonna give you opportunities to show his love in the lives of people all around you. When we live expectant, we say, Lord, I want to bring to you an offering of faith, an offering of love that is expressed into the lives of others. Would you open my eyes, open my ears to show me how to be an instrument of your love, to be your hands and your feet. Lord, I want to build my life not on my own accomplishment, but on your love, because that's where life is. That's the challenge that I have for us today. Lord, would you teach us how to love, how to build our life on your love so that others may see they don't have to keep trying, they don't have to keep striving. They can trust in what you've done for them out of love expressed in Jesus Christ and they can be united with you. And then they can join in in being your hands and your feet and living a life that expresses love to others. Here's the thing. There is nothing more fulfilling in all the world than being an instrument of God's love towards others. Nothing greater you could ever do. My challenge is, is that the life you want to pursue? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would show us how to live it. Lord, you'd show us where our pride gets in the way, where I'm trying to trust in myself and my own efforts instead of trusting what you have done. Bring clarity into our hearts and our minds, Lord, and set people free today, free to be able to to enjoy your love and the union that we have with you through Christ Jesus. And then, Lord, to live as your hands and feet in showing your love towards others. Lord, build our lives upon your love, we pray in Jesus' name.